It's time now for the PDXO WASP podcast, brought to you by the Open Web Application Security Project. The views of the guests do not necessarily represent the views of OWASP, their sponsors, and other stakeholders. Enjoy the show. Our guests today are Glenn Bravi and Merritt Wilson. Glenn works at Secure Code Warrior, partnering with people who believe that Secure Code training can be both hands-on and enjoyable. When it comes to getting upscaling, active learning and consistent practice outperforms talent over time. When not working, Glenn is trying to hack and grow veggies at home. Merritt Wilson also works at Secure Code Warrior. He helps customers prudently solve real-world cybersecurity and compliance problems. He enjoys working with those who truly understand their business objectives and challenges. During his off time, Merritt's passions include anything automotive-related and woodworking. Glenn and Merritt, thank you so much for stopping by today. Thank you, John. We appreciate you having us. Yeah, we're really excited to be able to meet with you and talk about OWASP and security and how that really overlaps with developers. Perfect. Tell us about yourselves. How did each of you get into security? Uh, great question. I'll, I'll just jump right in, Glenn. <laughs> so for me, I went to work for a little company in Vancouver years ago that had a, a product that aggregated and stored security event logs for Windows servers. And before that, each admin would have to go to every server and check the log files and so forth. And that industry grew into what is commonly known as a SIM today. From there, I I went to work for a local company, Tripwire, and we sold security configuration management and vulnerability management solutions. So for me, it was a foray based upon my sales background, but I've loved the journey and the amazing people that I've met along the way. Yeah. So my background, I came in from a a non-professional route. I wanted to learn a little bit of programming as I have a non-technical background in sales and other working with software, but not from actually developing it. So I started to learn through a Coursera program on object-oriented programming with Python, and I really, really enjoyed it. I found programming really fulfilling. But what I really enjoyed was in the final project, we got to see everyone else's projects and we built these games and I wanted to see if I could beat the developer's high score, which it took me about 30 minutes to finally be able to beat her high score. But then I figured, what if I went into the source code and instead of going through all the levels and seeing how quickly I could do them, just start on the final level and do it. And I found that I was able to, instead of, finish the game in four minutes, I could finish it in about 20 seconds. And so I got much more of a thrill in kind of cheating my way to success in a little bit, just finding a way around it (laughs) than actually building it. And so I wanted to see how can I work my way through applications and find these, you know, side paths. And that got me into security and really piqued my interest. And so I've been able to blend my sales background with, with the hacking. And so Now on my off time, I spend time working on bug bounty programs. And during the week, I am speaking to developers about security training and how we can really focus on mitigating those risks by coding securely. Since we're finding that developers are fantastic at bringing beautiful code, but still often there's a lack of understanding and awareness of, is that code secure? And 
how can we secure it from the beginning? Yeah, I'd like to come back to that in a little bit to talk about the education or the training that perhaps developers should mm-hmm. get, particularly new folks that are just graduating. How can we get this into the schools right. themselves, whether it's in college and even high school, and to start much earlier than, than later? That's a great point you mentioned with the universities and all. What we've done from the research that we found is there's actually only one university in the United States that requires more than two courses focused on security. And that's only one university that does a computer science program. That's the University of Alabama. There are a number more that require one or say it's an optional elective, but we're finding that it's really not heavily focused as a requirement of training. When you go to apply for a job as a a programmer, they want you to have experience in programming, but there's, I've never once seen a requirement of having any security training, any background secure coding. Yeah, I think maybe it's a misconception, but they say, well, we're going to offer a a security class, for example. But that security class is covering all kinds of different domains within security, but that doesn't necessarily mean or makes them a good secure programmer. In many cases, many of those classes themselves don't even talk about secure coding. Yeah, I was really stunned, actually, to learn this is my Secure Code Warrior is really my foray into application security. So I was really surprised that there's not more of an emphasis on not baking in vulnerabilities as code is being written. And it was surprising to learn that there aren't really programs out there that include a track on how to write secure code. So it's it's one of those things, you know, some of the vulnerabilities that we're dealing with today are the same ones as you know that we've dealt with for really since the advent of the internet. <laughs> so let's talk about Secure Code Warrior. What is it and how and when did it start and what was the motivation behind it? So Secure Code Warrior was founded about five years ago by two SANS professionals who were professional pen testers and SANS instructors. What they found was over and over for several years in their career, they were finding the same bugs and eventually got tired of really seeing the same things over and over. And they realized that the current training in place that they were providing, it wasn't working in a sense that developers were making those same mistakes. So even though we knew the right way to code to prevent a a SQL injection, they continue to see it. And so we know that information is available, but it's not getting across correctly through training. So they wanted to create a platform where it wasn't taking a, a class for three days or watching some videos and really being passive. But the way to really build that that muscle is to go to the gym every day and let's say go to, to the secure coding gym for 10, 15 minutes a day and practice. And that builds a skill. And by taking that idea and implementing it with a, a few companies to start, they found that that was really working and they were able to produce, in some cases, half the vulnerabilities popped up in the scanners within a few months. And so that's really what they were looking to achieve was to be able to show a reduction over time. So just to expand on what Glenn's saying a little bit, you know, I'm a a novice. I'm not, I don't write any code, but I've had fun on our platform because I've actually learned some things. It's a gamified learning platform, as Glenn indicated, and it really enables developers to learn things that they use, will use every single day without being subjected to watching a two or three hour video and trying to, and then complete a 
you know, an evaluation or something like that. Even as a, uh, a non-technical person, I've been subject to the SANS training for end users and things like that. And it, really, for me, the passive training, it's, it's painful. And so our founders decided that they wanted to develop a way where coders could have some fun and really learn things that are relevant to what they do each and every day. And that's how Secure Code Warrior came to be. Have you gotten feedback from teams, say, months after an event? And we'll talk about the tournaments coming up here in a second. And they're coming back and they're saying, yeah, we're, we're producing better code. And if so, do you think it was the skills that they learned from, say, these tournaments? Or maybe it was just doing this whole event thing that increased their awareness of, say, best practices in coding? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, the truth of the matter is that these tournaments are a great way for people to get exposure to the tools that we offer for learning. But where we see the biggest results are when, again, folks like yourself who have done tournaments, their companies, you know, are interested and perhaps implement our solution on a, you know, a trial basis or whatever, and then develop a program around it. Then we're really seeing changes over time. The platform also provides deep metrics. We're gathering data from many multiple points so companies can have a real gauge as to how it is working for them, the types of vulnerabilities that they're reducing in their finished code, for example, things like that. We're finding that the results really, really speak for themselves when someone can practice daily and start to build. So the idea is to be able to see, is a developer improving over time? Are they getting the right answers more often? And you can really see that as it goes. So we want to know that as an organization and as a single developer, how they're improving. I recently spoke with someone from a representing one of our customers, and they say that very large organization, Fortune 100, and they used to find so many vulnerabilities across all of their applications on every scan, and they were doing many scans. Now they tell us we're only seeing at this point one or two vulnerabilities in each application, down from dozens from each one. So we're seeing that the results are how many net new vulnerabilities do you pick up in each scan? How many fewer net new vulnerabilities are there in production? And that's really what we want to see. That shows that there is improvement in the skills of the developers. And it also helps us do two things. First of all, when they're producing fewer vulnerabilities from the very beginning, the cost to fix them is much lower right at the beginning than later stages. And typically we'll see that there may be 100 developers for every AppSec professional. And if they're having to push a lot of new code, We've heard from AppSec professionals that they are having to say, well, we can afford to fix the critical vulnerabilities, but there are a lot of known vulnerabilities that they just don't have time to fix before the product ships. And so now that there are so many fewer, they can really handle more and really secure those applications. So that's what we like to see. Nice. So we have a tournament, and that's one of the main reasons why we're talking today for the OWASPDX event coming this month. How do these tournaments work? Yeah, so the way the tournaments work is that the focus is on, when, when let's say when you log in, you want to identify the, in a code snippet, the insecure code piece, and then locate the, the correct solution. So let's say I'm looking at my IDE in our platform, and it's showing me there is a SQL injection somewhere in this code, and my job is to locate it there. So there will be certain portions of the code where it says it might be this one, it might be that one. 
and I need to go in and, and, and choose which one is the vulnerable code snippet. If I don't know, I can access one of the hints to provide that on-demand learning. If I do know, I can skip those hints and move forward. So that way we're not forcing everyone to sit through boring training if they don't need it. We want them to really be engaged and working through it and only take on the training when they need. So let's say I, I locate the one that is vulnerable and I it says that's correct. The second part of it is then to say, if this one is vulnerable, what's the correct way to do it? And then I go through one of four solutions that could be, that is the correct way to securely code it. And the way that we put this is one of them will be correct. And then the other three, of course, are wrong. But some of the incorrect solutions we've pulled from Stack Overflow and other sources online that we've actually seen proposed as solutions and even upvoted, but they are still vulnerable. And it just shows that a lot of developers may know, here's another way you could do it, but it still maintains that vulnerability. So we want people to know that just because you find it online, it may not be secure. So it doesn't require a developer to have to go in and actually code this, code it securely themselves, because if they, let's say if they knew how to do it, they may not be in requiring to do that part of the training. So we want them to have that recognition of when I see this, I know that's the insecure way. When I see this, that's the secure way. So it creates that recognition and they're able to identify it much quicker and easier. One of the things that's let people know too is that it's not just one language, right? So you have some C, especially in our chapter, we have C coders, uh, other JavaScript, Java. There are multiple languages and they can choose a language to to go and, and, and test against. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. We actually support currently about 41 different languages and frameworks with virtually hundreds of challenges within each language. Language. So there's plenty there for, you know, your junior developers as well as more senior folks that, you know, have been doing the job quite a while. The other thing that's really cool about Secure Code Warrior is we release new content every month. And I've been with the company about five months now. And when I started, I think we had something like 28 or 29 languages that we support. So just in a short amount of time, we've added languages, we've added infrastructure as code and some other things as well. Recently introduced a module within our platform called Courses, where as the name implies, a team manager can set up courses for developers to enhance their skills in an ongoing fashion without necessarily doing a tournament or something like that. So I'm just out of curiosity, what what is the most popular language that people are picking these days? Yeah, that's a great question too. It really varies. What I see a lot of is certainly Java Enterprise and some of the other Java languages, but we have something for everyone. Even if you're uh, somebody who still writes in COBOL, we support that and any number of other languages. What are you seeing, Glenn? Yeah, I see a lot of interest in Python, C, C Sharp, and and a lot of Java frameworks, as, as you mentioned. We're also seeing now a lot more interest in the infrastructure as a service languages such as CloudFormation and Ansible, Docker. 
So we're seeing more interest in those, which is fantastic to be able to expand on that. It's great because some people think that there are going to be more vulnerabilities by using some languages than others. But what we're finding when we go in and let's say do an initial tournament with an organization, oftentimes when they're going and trying to locate the vulnerability and fix and find a solution, they only get it right across all the languages, maybe 50 or 60%. And that's actually really good. What we find is with greater training, they are able to increase, but it's not that there's certain languages that are across the board more secure versus others. But we are seeing good interest. You know, Python is going to be one of the more popular and a lot of Java is. Yeah, that's really, and that was, was going to be my next question was, are there some languages more dangerous than others? And as I was writing that, I'm thinking, oh, well, clearly C, C++ and your buffer overflows. But you bring out a really, really important point, And that is that we can't assume, say, oh, we're running Java. That means there's going to be less vulnerabilities. We don't have to be as careful. And that points it out. You have, it's, it's a target-rich environment for any given language, it seems, for these tournaments. You're absolutely right. We see Java, I think, more than almost anything else. And even still, developers oftentimes get it right just over 50 to 60% on the first go around. So there are a lot of vulnerabilities that come through and they're able to reduce that number over time. There might be some folks out there who may be a bit intimidated by capture the flag like events, and perhaps it's the first time, or maybe they had a bad experience before, but we talked about this before. What some advice can you give them to say, just get them motivated and to at least come out and, and virtually come out in this case and, and give it a go for this upcoming tournament? So I'd like to contribute here a little bit because I'm not a coder. I've never had any training or experience, but I participated in a couple of tournaments. We do have a language that is for non-technical people called pseudocode. So even if you have support people that are exposed to the software development lifecycle that you'd like to, you know, at least make aware of what developers are up against, it's a great way for that as well. I would just encourage people, you know, I'm not a big gamer either, but I had a really a lot of fun participating in the tournament and I learned a few things. So I think that, you know, if you can just get over the idea that you, you're not good enough or you're going to be competing with experts or whatever it might be, there's something in it for everyone. And it really is a lot of fun and a great way to build camaraderie with your peers and people that you know at the OWASP chapter. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And just a few more points. That was excellent. What Merritt said, when you get in, the difference between a CTF and here is that a CTF may have a few vulnerabilities that you have to hunt for, or it might be really clever. It might not be what you would typically see in the wild. It's up to the discretion of the creator there. Ours really model a typical way that we have seen developers code in a vulnerable and a secure way. So we don't want to necessarily try to trick anybody. We just want them to be able to practice. Furthermore, it's all, if you want, it's all an anonymized scoreboard. So no one will see if you go in and you have a low score. No one will know it's you. If you have a high score, it's all anonymous. So we really encourage people just to practice. If you don't feel comfortable joining the tournament, you can still join the training. And from there, you can practice and learn 
before you do a tournament, or just you get all the benefit of those same challenges without the risk of any embarrassment of competing in the tournament. So we talked about this before. It's not just for OWASP members here in Portland, but uh, other development teams in this area, uh, developers, and can they join as well in this tournament? Yeah, absolutely. We're doing this because, frankly, we want people to be aware of our solution. So we invite any and all to come and join and take a look. We also appreciate any feedback. One of the things I was going to mention earlier is for your more tenured, experienced developers, oftentimes they will disagree perhaps with what we have provided as the correct answer on a challenge in the training. And there's a mechanism where they can provide to our product team exactly what it is they either have a question about or dispute, provides a screenshot to our folks so they know exactly what they're talking about. And within a day or two, they'll get an answer back as to why that is correct. Or we've had people discover mistakes that we've made. So it's really interactive that way as well. And again, we invite everybody who would like to take a look, who wants to jump into the tournament to please do. Cool. So if people have more questions about the event or Secure Code Warrior, how can they reach out to you? You can use uh, our fax machine or pager or email. <laughs> so we're, we're at Secure Code Warrior and you can email me at G at Bravi. So G as in Glenn, Bravi, spell it like gravy, but with a B as in boy at securecodewarrior.com. And we'll be able to uh, you know help you out if there's any questions that you have. If you're interested in Cybersecurity Awareness Month for October or other initiatives that we do with OWASP, we'd love to talk about it with you. Yeah, and my email is much simpler. It's mwilson at securecodewarrior.com. Any questions, comments, funny snippets, send them my way, please. And by the way, we'll include in our feed with this. And also just remind people, when you do register, there's a Slack channel open now that's dedicated for this tournament as well. And we'll provide the details for that. That way, maybe other people are asking the same question. It can help everybody who's participating. So Glenn and Merritt, thank you so much for spending time with us today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, John. We really appreciate the opportunity to participate. Yeah, thank you, John. It was really great. I love talking talking about security and and we hope to really see people engaging in the tournament and testing their skills. Awesome. Be safe and see you very soon. To hear this podcast again, visit anywhere a podcast is played. For more information, go to owasp.org forward slash www forward slash chapter forward slash Portland.